Hello, folks. The fall season will soon be upon us, and that means school for the little ones, Halloween, all the frightening things that happen as the nights grow longer. Don't miss the latest episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, airing on Mondays. And, of course, don't forget Fear from the Heartland with Paul J. McSorley, Drew Blood's Dark Tales, and Horror Hill with Eric Peabody. You can find them all at simplyscarypodcast.com, on YouTube, or your favorite podcasting service. Or be sure to visit the ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com website and become a patron and hear extended episodes from our vast audio archive. Slow down just a little bit and join us for a scary good time. We're waiting for you. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 13, Episode 21. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Kyle Harris. Tonight, we'll hear stories of sinister shorelines, crystallized conundrums, horticultural horrors, and doggies of despair. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail... So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You work hard, and when you're ready for a vacation, you want to have one with all the stops pulled. Unfortunately for the family in this tale, Sometimes you can't always get what you want. I think they did a song like that once. Anyway, when you try to get it, it just might make things worse. Without further ado, I present to you Farthest Shores. As long as Paula and I have been married, there hasn't been a chance for us to slow down. Not to say that's a bad thing, of course. It's just after seven years of work, school, and taking care of aging parents, we really, really needed a vacation. Our life revolves around our kids. Everything we do has been so they can have a better life themselves. And I think it's important that children get to see the world and experience new things. I'm not saying this just to justify that what we did was all right by any means, just setting facts that will make sense as I tell you about our first and ultimately last family vacation. If for nothing else, when I remind myself of our good intentions, it keeps me sane. Because without that, without family, I'm not really sure what we've worked for. We'd been planning the trip for three years, and with a little help from Paula's dad, finally got a chance to go this last spring. The destination was a private cottage right on the capes of Finland's countryside, a remote and relaxing getaway for all of us to enjoy. When people asked me, why Finland? I didn't want to admit it, most because our budget was tight. We looked into a lot of options and saved up everything we could. There were other things available, of course, but we had promised the girls... We're going to show them a world, and the year we finally booked it, things seemed to just fall into place. Paula had gotten a raise, her dad's health was improving, flights across the Atlantic were not nearly as staggering. Planets had all seemingly aligned just for this trip to happen, so there wasn't any reason to make an objection. We waited until spring break so that Madeline and Jesse wouldn't have to miss school and used what little of our tax return was left over to get passports for all of us. As the days counted down, I spent time getting the girls excited, showing them pictures online of the beaches, the beautiful rolling hills, the sights and sounds we'd see. 
Are there horses? Madeline asked as we started to pack. Honey, we aren't traveling halfway across the world just so you can pet horses, I teased her. I don't want to pet one. I want to ride one, she said excitedly. Shouldn't you wait until your birthday, I asked her. You said that last year, Maddie whined. I couldn't fault her there. So that evening, as they settled down, I looked into different activities the kids could do while we were at the cottage. Naturally, the vacation was remote, but a quick check of Google told me a village stood nearby, and maybe they'd have different ways of keeping a nine- and six-year-old entertained. How much should we take for spending? I asked my partner once I shut down the computer. It's not recommended to carry a lot of cash, so I'm just going to use our credit cards. I figure they're good anywhere, she told me, yawning as she took the laptop and started her own research. Horse riding. Did Madeline use puppy dog eyes, she teased, and she saw my search history. Her grades have improved, and besides, it's a vacation. I'm sure if one of us is with her, it'll be fine, I said defensively. Oh, fine. Just so long as Jessie doesn't feel left out, I guess, she said as she finished up the last bit of work from her job. And now we are officially on vacation, she said excitedly. We held each other close, and I smiled in anticipation. Couldn't imagine worrying about anything for the next ten days. But my worries had only just begun. Crossing the Atlantic was just as breathtaking as I had imagined it, seeing the Florida coast fade away and everything replaced with pure blue. The kids were just as in awe as us, peering out the window of our flight and guessing how big or deep the ocean really was. Once the initial spectacle had died down, I kept the girls busy with in-flight movies and books, doing a few crosswords and light reading myself. This probably sounds somewhat foolish, but before arriving in Finland, I really didn't know much about the country or the culture. All my partner had told me was that it was another scenic European country, and it was good enough for me. So, during that long flight, I looked into the rich history of Finnish life, the types of foods we could try that they were famous for, and a few of the local legends. Things like this have always fascinated me since I was little perhaps because my imagination was a bit overactive. But when I read about the trolls, the will-o'-wisps, and the goblins, it must have made me feel a part of that culture. One story in particular I thought Maddie might find interesting was of the Naki, a water spirit that took the shape of a horse. Some stories made them as benevolent guardians, and others treated them as malicious tricksters. But most stories always ended the same, Seeing a knock, he was considered a life-changing experience for good or bad. Finally, my eyes grew weary, and I shut down the laptop to rest. My dreams filled with the shape-shifting knocky as it rode across the Finnish coast. Rain woke me as our flight shook and descended into a rolling fog. The clouds were so thick that it was nearly impossible to see what was below us, but I was still relieved that we had arrived safely. Waking the kids and my Paula, we stretched, grabbed our bags, and left the Helsinki airport at around seven that morning. It was strange departing this foreign country at the same time we had left home. Did we time travel? Jesse asked, 
as we grabbed a bus to take us out to the city. No, sweetie, it's just time zones. Remember when we visited Grandma at Christmas, I told her? She nodded in understanding and didn't ask any more questions, but I wondered if she really understood. What matters is that for the next ten days, we don't need to keep track of time, Paula told him. That made them both erupt with joy. Those cries of joy fell on deaf ears as we continued to drive toward the Finnish coast, and then our transport came to a halt only a few hours from the port. Uh, something wrong? I asked. I stood up along with a half dozen other vacationers to see what was causing the delay and saw a group of European police setting up a blockade. It must be an accident, Paula said, as she ruffled Jesse's hair and stepped off the bus to investigate. I peered out the foggy window and watched as Paula and a few other passengers talked to the police. If I was worried that things were bad, seeing the angry, animated movements of Paula told me it was all about to get much worse. In another minute, she stormed back onto the bus wearing a sour face. All the roads to the coast have been closed. They won't say why, and they won't say for how long, just that we will be compensated and that we're to head back towards Helsinki, she told me. My heart dropped. They can't just do that. Has there been a chemical spill or something? Skies are clear, I sputtered. Other passengers were also getting visibly upset as they were told what was going on. But it was clear that the European police weren't budging and that only made everything more frustrating. We should probably just head back. I'm sure we can maybe arrange to get a cottage somewhere else, Paula suggested. The girls cried. They didn't stop all the way back. And I joined them for a little while. This wasn't fair. Paula's perusal of hotels and Airbnb online rendered few results. The issues that were happening here in Helsinki were apparently being mirrored up and down the coast of the Baltic. I'm sorry, she told me in defeat after spending nearly six hours trying to find a better deal. The cottage we'd booked also wasn't responding to any inquiry for a refund. In short, we were stuck here without anything to do in a crappy hotel that the local government was offering to all the travelers. The news didn't tell us much more about what was happening. There was a storm brewing off the East Baltic, but nothing big enough to warrant this kind of caution. I'm going to go see if this hotel has a bar, I told Paula, as the kids settled down for the night. Their disappointment was probably the hardest thing to endure. This was meant for them to experience the world, not be trapped in a two-star finished Motel 6 watching cartoons they couldn't even translate. Down at the bar, I ordered the fancy drink I could with my Google Translate and started to down shots to push my bad mood away. Bloody hell, what's gotten you in a sour mood, lad? The bartender asked as he offered my sixth shot. Lover's spat? The coast? I began as I struggled to down another strong sip of the whiskey. Ah, say no more. They do this every year. To me, it feels like a tourist trap, he said with a chuckle. They close all of the coasts? For how long? I asked in shock. Not all of them, of course. Lots of fishermen still have secret routes to go to down there. They say it's for some endangered species to mate. It doesn't normally last longer than a week. Guess this year must be the exception, because I don't normally ever hear reports on the news, he said with a shrug. 
They just do that without even warning people? That sure is a damn con. We paid thousands to come here. Why don't they just cancel all travel plans, I asked him, slamming my drink down. Beats me, my guy. Sometimes it's not always this way. Must be something weird afoot, he responded. All I wanted to do was build sandcastles with my children, see the bluffs, and experience Europe. I didn't realize how pathetic I probably sounded then, but I was upset and not thinking clearly. I was probably just another spoiled American that he'd seen a thousand times. But for some reason, he felt sympathetic to my plight and commented, Maybe there is a way, but it's not necessarily legal. My ears perked up. What do you mean, I asked. Like I said, I got some buddies of mine that go down there this time of year for the catch. They should be headed down there tomorrow morning through one of their off-limit roads. I'm talking dirt trails and mud, places that only pirates and thieves go, he told me. How long does that trip take? Listen, you don't want to ride those roads. Besides, if you get caught, you could face serious jail time, he said. If it's dangerous, we'll leave right away, I promise. A few drinks later, he gave me a name, and I thought we had our ticket to the vacation we finally came here for. But Paula wasn't hearing a word of it. I know this means a lot to you, but I don't want to risk it, she said. What's your sense of adventure? If this isn't what we came here for, I asked her. But she wouldn't budge. Fine, fine. I'll just take the girls on a tour of the city tomorrow. You can sit in a hotel room blubbering like a coward. I shouted at her. You're drunk. You need some rest, she told me. It's a vacation. We're supposed to be having fun, I snapped. I thought she was just trying to get me more upset than I already was, but instead she resigned from the argument and said she was getting some rest. I spent the rest of the night dreaming about the beaches I'd never get to see and thinking about how I could get down there without Paula worrying. As much as I hated to do it, I knew lying was the only way. The next morning, I did just as I said and took Maddie and Jesse with me for a tour of the scenic spots in Helsinki. I told Paula I wouldn't bring up the idea of traveling to the quarantined coast, and for the most part, that was the truth. I certainly didn't tell her I planned to go, and when we did make it to the spot where I told her I could catch a ride, I told the girls we were going on a secret mission. I know I was irresponsible and a poor father. Maybe that's why I even pen these words, because someone has to know what happened that morning on the coastline. The driver that picked us up was named Monty, an Irishman who had lived in Helsinki for most of his adult life. He owned a boat that went out three times a year in the Baltic. He seemed like a good person. He also admitted he had never attempted to go to the beaches when they were closed. Just seemed like a bad idea. Then I started losing my money, and my competitors were just jeering at me, saying I was pathetic for being scared of a few wild horses. He said as we drove down the first country road. Madeline jumped up excitedly. Did you say horses? She asked. Oh, aye. A few of them ride down the coast every single time they quarantine that area. I figure they must be endangered or something. He said as he turned a sharp curb and the city faded away. Nothing could be seen except steep rock and uneven roads. The car we drove in buckled and bumped as the girls giggled, and I wondered if the bartender's speculation 
also had to do with these horses. Nearly there, the driver said, focusing on the road. There were even a few times I thought we would flip over. I held my girls right as they laughed louder and louder. Then we settled near the edge of the hills, and the Irishman announced, Swear you get off. Enjoy. I'll be back in about an hour. I stepped out of his car and peered toward the long stretch of beach, marveling at the smells of the sand and sea. It was better than I ever dreamed it could be. Dad, can we go and play? Jesse asked. I nodded and told him to take the shoes off, watching as they dashed toward the tide and ran back and forth between the waves and the sand. Hearing them laugh and seeing them enjoy the quiet isolation made me almost forget about Paul's worry. Stopped a few pictures and considered sending them to her. But then, instead of rubbing it in, my plan was to share it at the hotel and convince her to come with us. Not breaking any rules, just enjoying all this place had to offer us. I said to myself as I took off my own sandals and felt the squishy sand get in between my toes. What reason could they have for keeping this from us? From the distance, I heard the sound of a horse's whinny, and I turned toward the west side of the beach, thinking I would see the few horses that the fishermen had spoken. When I looked, I actually saw hundreds. They were galloping across the beach, riding in between the waves and the coast, as though on a race. It was majestic and beautiful to see. I raised my camera to get a better look and then saw something that turned this awe-inspiring moment into a nightmare. Madeline. She was running toward the horses. No, honey, Maddie, stop, I yelled. The horses were going faster, their nostrils flaring and their manes whipping against the waves. But she didn't listen to me. She kept going straight toward those wild animals. I imagined a thousand dangerous scenarios where the creatures would trample her to death, yet to my amazement, they went around her, weaving about gracefully the way a swan would on water. Those beautiful pale steeds just split themselves and viewed her as part of their herd. It was breathtaking, but still, I didn't stop tensing up until I saw Maddie was safe. You could have gotten hurt, I chided her as I ran to her side and turned to see where the horses had gone. Mysteriously, the herd was nowhere in sight. I just wanted to pet him, she whined as the storm began to crash against the sea. Don't ever do that again, I warned as I grabbed her hand and started back toward the grassy knolls. The hour was nearly up, and it felt strange to imagine that the horses had come and gone so quickly. Had they dashed into the open water? As the Irishman returned, my thoughts drifted to the Naki, strange legend of the shape-shifting stallions that lured children to their doom. Yet the horses Maddie had seen had ignored her, proving to be no threat. Could these amazing water horses be the reason the coast had been closed off? I needed to know more. How is the beach? Sorry you couldn't stay longer. Tis risky with all the government about, the fishermen said as we drove up together back to Helsinki. It was definitely unforgettable, I commented. We saw horses, Maddie exclaimed. They look like monsters, Jesse said fearfully. Don't be crazy. You're mad because you didn't see puffins, Maddie shouted to her sister. Both of you, settle down. You don't really know what it was that we saw, I told them both. 
I also had no idea what I was going to do if Paula found out. The beach had been harmless, so there was no reason to berate me. Still, I knew sneaking out to the bluffs wouldn't work a second time. I needed to convince her to go, too. I fretted over it the rest of the day as Paula made a few arrangements to try and explore the rest of Finland with a guide, but my mind still focused on that storm, the horses, and the impossibility of it all. I needed answers to all of it. We're going to a museum and an art show tomorrow, she announced. Jesse seemed thrilled. Maddie screamed bloody murder. No, 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 no. I want to stay and ride the horses. Paula looked at me curiously, and I said, I took her by some stables, nothing too serious. I kind of promised we could go ride tomorrow. Another lie. I was getting too casual with this elaborate story. You had the chance to explore all of the capital, and you just went to one horse stable, she asked? Glancing at the sandals we all wore and seeing the bits of sand. Is there something you aren't telling me? Paula asked. Fine, yes, we went to the coast. But it was miraculous. Like touching the face of Mother Nature itself, I said excitedly, as I went to get my camera and show the pictures we took. We saw these amazing horses, like a breed I'd never seen before, I told my Paula. She started to flick through the pictures, visibly upset. I had disobeyed her wishes, but not showing it in front of the kids. I don't see any horses, just a bunch of sand, she muttered. She passed it back to me, and Madeline also seemed puzzled by the discovery. Sure enough, the photos didn't show any signs of the strange, glamorous horses. But they were there. We know what we saw, I said softly. We shouldn't have been there in the first place. Something terrible could have happened, Paula said irritably. But it didn't. And we had a great time. Ah, oh, I wish you would have been there. The waves were amazing. The sea smelled like lilac. I paused, still unsure how the horses hadn't shown on the phone. They might be a new species that were crashing straight into the waves. What if the camera can't capture them, I said, as I remembered something else that could spur her to action. Think of it, Paula. We could be the first ones in the history to actually prove the legend is real, I said excitedly. She went to our room whilst the kids settled in for the night and muttered, If those stallions exist, then you shouldn't have had our kids down there. Why didn't you listen? Because I didn't want to come here just to have all our dreams pushed aside, I growled back. I was tired of her treating me like I was the kid in a relationship. We worked too hard for something like this. We deserved this. I told her. She sighed, knowing that persuading me would take a lot longer than giving in. I knew which option she'd pick, the path of least resistance. I'll go down in the morning, but I'm worried. This isn't like you, and I don't want it to go too far, she said once we were completely alone. I shook my head, wishing she understood. I'm sorry. I know what you're saying. I'm, I'm sorry. I just want this vacation to be worthwhile. I told her as we just cuddled to one another. I didn't know then how right she was to show cause for concern. The next morning started off the same. We got the girls dressed and ready for the day at the beach and ate omelets, watching locals perform a puppet show outside the hotel. It was an epic performance about children who didn't listen to their parents, 
showing how dangerous things can happen when you stray far from home. For some reason, as we traveled down that secluded and obstructed road, play kept running through my mind. I knew my behavior since our arrival here in the country, this beautiful country, had been childish and selfish. I knew that being disobedient was a bad example for my children. Yet it still felt like something was calling me to the coast, lulling me into a false sense of security. Maybe we should turn around, I said, as the storm clouds grew closer. What about the horses? Madeline whined. You're the one that's been so insistent about this, Paula remarked. Might as well get it over with. I hoped the bad feeling I was getting in the pit of my stomach would pass. The fisherman told us he would return, this time in two hours, to take us back to the hotel. But much like before, the beach was empty. There weren't even footprints in the sand to show where the girls had been. It almost felt like the beach had reset. It was perplexing, but not unnerving. So, as they dashed across the shores again, I settled down and tried to calm my nerves. I don't understand you at all. You bother me for days to get down here, and when we do, all you can do is shake like a leaf, Paula chided. She was chattering away about how beautiful the beach truly was, but I wasn't listening. I was watching Maddie and Jesse, making sure they didn't get too close to the waves. Let's go for a dip, Paula said, grabbing my hand and dragging me toward the water. I figured it best to let my inhibitions go. After all, wasn't this what I wanted in the first place? I set my toes into the cold water and laughed nervously. It did feel good. Then, a crack of lightning made my hair stand on edge, and I looked toward the girls, worrying that they might get struck. As I looked toward them, something shimmered from the waves. There's a gentle fluctuation at first, weaving its way toward the surface. And then, all at once, a group of majestic stallions burst from the water toward the girls. Madeline squealed in delight, but Jesse only screamed. This time I saw the horses for what they truly were. Their form was neither solid nor liquid, but an amorphous blob of the two combined twisting and stampeding toward our daughters with no regard. Just as before, the amazing beasts ignored Maddie, but somehow I could tell the end would not be the same sigh of relief I had before. Madeline, don't move, Paula said excitedly. Paula, Paula, tell me what you see. What do they look like to you? I asked as we moved toward them. The horses flared their nostrils, rearing back and storming toward us. The dangerous lightning grew stronger as we tried to reach out, but it was too late. Maybe it had always been. Maddie reached out and grabbed a hold of one of them, suddenly being pushed into the water like a bit of seaweed caught on a propeller. Jessie suffered a far worse fate, the herd smashing her down and into the water like the sand they were racing upon. Paula and I watched in horror as our child's face and body were trampled, her lungs filled with water, and then the horses dashed into the Baltic once more. Paula desperately tried to follow, and I screamed. I doubt she even heard. Soon, the waves swallowed her whole as well. I reached for her hand, and nothing was there except the sand. In desperation, I ran toward Jesse and tried to resuscitate her. But it was too late. The creature's hooves had smashed in her face and chest, and 
What damage they hadn't done, the water had. Slumped into the sand and clung to her body as the tide kept hitting me over and over. By the time the fishermen had returned, Paula and Madeline's bodies had washed back ashore as well, and the storm had lifted. By the powers, what in the devil happened here? I looked at my family. I thought of the foolishness I'd displayed that brought them here. A trap to punish my selfishness. A taunt from the evil itself. It's exactly what happened. I said weakly, the devil was here. I hope you enjoyed Farthest Shores by Kyle Harrison, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Harrison. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. We'd list some of the items that Kyle's worked on, but even a small list would take up too much time. Be sure to find his works on Reddit, Amazon, and wherever terror can be found. Thanks again for your support of this program and tonight's featured author. Well, I guess it probably would be the last family vacation you'd take when there's no family left to vacation with. Shame, really. Because I hear Transylvania has travel packages that might help with issues with the recently deceased. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Vacations aren't the only things that might turn out in hindsight not to do. 
Scientific research has its problems from time to time. You know how it is. Dig a hole, study some samples, uncover something leading to cosmic horrors. The usual. Come along, then, to a place where the freezing cold is the least of your problems. Without further ado, I present to you Chernabog Station. Chernabog Station was but a hollow reminder of the grim reality of what the Arctic Circle could do in a single night. Hoar frost and harsh winds tore apart equipment, covering everything in a slick sheet of icy gray and black. It gave the impression of a shine as our ship dipped near the main landing platform. Captain Alan Blaine let out a soft whistle and took off his hat. It was clear the facility had seen better days, but that wasn't why he was paying reference. Among the frozen landscape, we could see the remains of the researchers who had failed to escape the sudden onslaught of cold. Her eyes were wide with fear, frantically climbing toward any measure of safety that was available, but nothing that this remote outpost offered would have been enough. Thirteen souls. That's a bad omen. Abdul, our Iranian guide, commented as we dropped anchor. The water was almost thirty degrees and not a sign of life flickered around our boat as I followed the captain to the ladder. Everything about this place is bad luck, I agreed, as I checked my portable laptop. The signal was gone, not even my normal apps could function in this awful environment. Best leave lad here, no amount of mathematics, will be able to help you with what they've uncovered. That was Chief Science Officer Seneca Castain, a Croatian who claimed to have been a survivor of a previous Arctic megastorm. It was the one who said there would be no way the crew here had survived when we discovered they were radio silent for nearly three years. Or rather, when we had learned that this place even existed. How long do you think their dark winter lasted? I whispered as we climbed. Despite the heavy gear we wore, it seemed that each step we made caused sharp, cold pains to shoot through my body. A dreadful reminder of the impossible climate I'd be working in. Most likely only a few hours, if they were lucky. But it goes without saying that despite the evidence of imminent death, Stein men and women did us all a service by sending out that SOS, Seneca commented. Do we happen to know why it took so long for Arctic Outpost to get the information? Glenn asked. We're stepping now onto what looked like a helipad of some kind, with a massive drill attached that was pointed toward the iceberg they had been excavating. From this angle, I couldn't see anything that made the chunk of ice any different than the hundreds of others that darted up from the frigid sea. But clearly... The researchers here felt their discovery had been worth keeping their entire operation hidden from everyone on the planet. To answer Blaine's question, Seneca was scanning the area for electromagnetic activity, and his equipment was already at extremely high levels. And with all the protective equipment we were wearing, the spiking meter made me uneasy. All that activity here is off the charts likely kept any sort of communication from transmitting until there was a soft spot, the Croatian explained. The final member of our team, a geologist named Edward Kant, 
arrived in the rear with all the necessary tools to take samples of the ice. Walk us through precisely what happened, Kant told Seneca. The older man gestured for us to follow him to the south side of the station, where the command and observation center were located. At precisely 1,300 hours on November 4th, a Category 5 megastorm capable of producing winds up to 140 miles per hour was recorded to have emerged from this location. There were no factors to indicate that the storm was on the horizon, no meteorological data to provide us with a reason to believe this island was in any danger. Of course, all of this is somewhat speculative, as the operation was hidden from satellite imagery until the storm hit. Then the research team sent out what little data they had on an identified object of massive diameter to our outpost in North Greenland. The rest, as you can see, is history. Seneca muttered as we climbed the stairs. All of this was filed with the United Nations and Dr. Parker, our head of operations. Did you not read the file, he asked. Kant looked a bit flushed, not wanting to admit he hadn't. Instead, he focused on the iceberg and said, I've never actually seen a glacial mass of this size. We should begin taking down all measurements and determine precisely where they stopped their excavation. Blaine commented, Captain, I don't think that'll be necessary, I said, my mouth going dry. In the early morning fog, we stood nearly a yard away from a steel platform that reached across a gap the dead winter to the ice dam itself, revealing a hole, a dark hole, that bore into the ice like God himself had punched into the ancient cold mountain. All of us wordlessly followed the platform into the depths of the iceberg, the chill in the air suddenly making me feel claustrophobic. There was a presence here, something I couldn't quite put my finger on. I realized as we climbed down the rope ladder to a clearing below. I was the first to arrive, my eyes fixed on the form of a completely crystallized woman standing near where the drill had stopped moving. The massive vehicle itself was actually small in comparison to the object that appeared from beneath the wintry rock. It was clear and polished, as wide as Lake Michigan, and as dark as the starry sky. Not a crack or blemish broke apart the shimmering surface, but around the edges I saw what looked like beveled contours that were made of stones from what looked like every corner of the earth. Perhaps most striking about the object was what I saw within. Reflections of myself, the other scientists, and the iceberg, a mirror image of our surroundings save for one detail. The iceberg itself was carved as though a part of a larger city, one not made of human hands. The buildings were clear as glass, infinitely stretching beyond what I could see, toward a shadowy beach that spawned what should have been the reflection of the gaping hole above. And amid the chaotic city of up and down, strange creatures that I could hardly fathom coursed back and forth near the edge of the mirror. What in the hell is this? Gaunt asked, his voice hardly a whisper in the chasm. He took a tentative step closer to the massive-looking glass, his breath catching in his throat as his own reflective image caught his eye. It was then I realized that this mirror self was acting of its own accord, 
marching toward Kant as if they knew each other. At the same time, the geologist came to a complete stop, his face paler than the iceberg itself. I can't, I can't move, he cried out frantically. I turned toward him, wondering if the shock of the mirror was causing him to panic. Instead, I saw his lower body was turning to crystal in the same way as the woman was to my left. In a flash of light, Kant screamed out, and the strange, limpid material covered his entire body, paralyzing him. Get away from it! Everyone retreat! I shouted. Seneca was the only one that hesitated. He was fishing for a camera to take a few candid images of our find, not even remotely concerned about capturing the horror of what was occurring around us. Grabbing his arm, Abdul chastised him, and we didn't need any more prompting to obey and escape. As we hurried from the frozen tundra outside, Captain Blaine tried to get a grasp on what we had just discovered. I think I understand now why this facility was removed from satellites. He said, holding his hand next to his heart, It shouldn't be possible, that thing. It's, it's not of this earth, is it? Seneca asked, We have a legend of a world that is laid out across a flat, smooth surface. A mighty king created an underground sanctum to hide from a terrible winter that reshaped the world. They crossed over into another world to remain hidden, and there they became gods, Abdul said. His eyes were mystified by what he had seen, and I wondered how much of his story could be true. The mirror should be worshipped and revered, for it has powers beyond imagination. I thought back to what uh, we had learned about the weather and how suddenly it had hit the base. That wall of ice came down in a single impact of a drill, revealing the mirror. When the team saw the object, it must have been what altered the climate of this area, I reasoned. It completely changed the structure of this entire region, Alan realized. I could see the gears in his head turning as the air around us grew stiff. We need to lock down this entire island. Maintain the satellite blackout. No one should be allowed near that mirror. Contact our allies. We need more drills here from every military force that's available to donate their men for a full excavation. We need to dig this up as soon as possible, they decided. He must be joking. Did you see what happened to Kant? As soon as his reflection saw him, he was frozen in place. We would be risking too many lives if we attempted to move it, I and it's that sort of power we need, Blaine insisted. When the words fell on deaf air, I immediately realized what prompted his sense of urgency. This was no longer a scientific endeavor, but a military struggle. Whoever held the mirror would likely be able to declare itself the next world power, I realized, as I nodded reluctantly. I can gather a team, but I can't make any promises, I told him. My mind raced as we left the outpost, the sea below becoming tumultuous, as if nature itself could sense the dark plans that had begun. As we climbed aboard, I took a look at the massive ice sheet again, trying to imagine how much of the pallid stone mirror encompassed. We don't need just drills, we need weapons, I told the captain. I hoped he would not suspect the true reason behind my request, and much to my relief he agreed to it without hesitation kept my head down as our ship struggled to push away from the Forsaken Island, my brain working double-time to decide how many explosives it would take 
sink the iceberg to the bottom of the Siberian Sea. Little did I realize the nightmares I would be unleashing. We didn't return to Chernobog until the warm season came, our team tripling in size to fulfill the military's desire to procure the gigantic mirror. Our fleet was filled with Russian and Iranian forces, along with a few East Euro elites, who were here merely to observe and bark orders. Each was armed to the teeth based on the preliminary warnings I'd given about our find. I wasn't sure, even with the most advanced weapons at our disposal, if it would be enough for other matters that occurred to the rest of my team after we departed in the winter. Seneca was the first to experience bad luck, his wife leaving him when he returned to Croatia with the developed photographs of the mirror. He'd phoned me one night, his voice filled with dread as he tried to describe what he had seen in the pictures. I... Uh, we... We can't go back there. The mirrors are a doorway, or perhaps a portal. Worlds beyond our mortal understanding. I saw death and life. It was beautiful and terrifying. He offered to send me a copy of the photo, but then changed his mind over and over again. The more he talked, the more I recognized he was losing his mind. This was a man of science and years of repute, and he was babbling the way an infant would. I cannot look at myself in any mirror any longer. Only the true world is what can give me solace. I need to return. I need to release my captive dreams, he whispered over and over again. It sounded like a chant at some times. Then, after speaking to his wife, I learned that his madness descended upon their household, much like the megastorm. She said that he had smashed every surface in our place that even had the slightest glimmer of his face showing. Then, with the broken jagged pieces of glass, he began to ram them into his eyes over and over again. She said it took her full weight to make him stop from bleeding out. And the way she described him, Seneca did not sound like a man at all. His face is covered in permafrost, paler than a ghost and flaky, yet it doesn't peel. It hardens and solidifies the way icicles do as they drip from firmament. She told me, her voice hollow and afraid. I didn't hear from them again. Instead, I saw an article on a news blog that informed me of their fate. Authorities had raided their house after hearing complaints from the neighbors of a foul smell. It was like crystallized poison wafting through the air, or so they claimed. And within, they found both the dead body of his wife and the shattered remains of what some described as a statue of a man it was completely glass. Yet I knew this had to be the result of what that mirror had done to poor Seneca. Captain Blaine was next. He said he was haunted by the images of the mirror and the dreams. Each and every night, his shadow self would take a step closer. Blaine said sometimes he could feel his reflections closing in on him and choking his breath from his lungs. It's impossible to describe it. It reminds me of when I thought I might drown at an early age. He admitted... When he had heard what happened to Seneca, he immediately resigned and sought treatment in the States. Only our Iranian friend remained steadfast with my new team as we approached the island. Fog lifted as we scanned the waters, and I tried desperately to recall where the iceberg had been. We're certain the coordinates are correct, the lead researcher asked. Parker was her name, and she had a steely gaze that told me 
Disappointing her would cost more than just my career. We scoured the waters for the next few days, our men growing anxious and frustrated, as none of the advanced equipment would provide even a hint of where the iceberg had disappeared to. This should not be possible. We've traversed these waters for nearly a week now, one of the captains said as our resources became scanned. We tried using satellites, but only received more blurry images. The island seemed to constantly be on the move. Abdul had a suggestion, but it didn't seem practical from a scientific perspective. The wards of this gate are protecting it fiercely. If we wish to find it again, a sacrifice must be made. When the king sealed it away, a pact with the other world was made. This is what our scriptures teach, he told Parker. He wasn't merely talking about the loss of more resources. He made a human ritual. We'll take that under consideration, she promised. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I couldn't tell if she had lost her mind as well. The next day I found out how far past sanity we were. Abdul volunteered himself along with several Iranian soldiers who believed this would be the only way they could ever see their families again. The sea has turned against us the same way the storm destroyed the others. The gods are testing our resolve and we must show them our loyalty. And only by blood can this be done, Abdul told him. He managed to block off the entire south deck of the ship that we were on as the air itself went still in the eerie northern sea. We have to stop them. I told the captains as some of the soldiers blocked off stairwells and shot anyone who came close. Parker crossed her arms and cocked her head as she observed the ritual. We shouldn't be hesitant to embrace unknown concepts, gentlemen. This may be, in fact, our salvation, she told us. Blood was streaking across the entire deck of the ship by midnight. And then, as I tried again to get the captains to sail back to the war in the eastern shores of Siberia, strange auroras rippled across the sky. Colors that I recognized at first then morphed into strange, unrecognizable pigments that made my head hurt. All of our equipment went dead and the power shut off, completely darkening the already foreboding sea. The cascading rainbow of strange and abstract colors became like a raging river, constantly flocculating back and forth over the sea as we watched in awe. Then the entire sky seemed to split apart. Waters rose from either side of our boats, our massive warships being tossed about as though they were mere toys. The waters were pushing toward the vortex that formed in the sea, 
pulling our ships forward into a whirlpool of roaring thunder and iridescent lighting. The entire ocean is falling into the pit. The men shrieked as we all hurried to the inner hull. Our ship rumbled and shook, threatening to tear apart as we began to tip toward the waterfall. There was no escape to be made, I realized, as I looked through the fracture and glass windows of the void below. We were plummeting into the unknown. I closed my eyes, grabbing a hold of the rail as all noise and all sense of surroundings faded away. The crewmen around me seemed to split apart into separate shadowy reflections of themselves, each wailing like lost souls as we kept falling. Blood rushed through my head, and I closed my eyes, feeling a wave of nausea hit me as water struck us on both sides. I collapsed to the ship deck, Parker at my side, and the crewmen tossed about like ragdolls. Some of them were fortunate to survive, the rest were torn apart by the constantly changing waves. Then we heard nothing. My feet were wobbly as I got up and began to climb to the outer deck, my skin tingling with fear as I saw what was before us now. Cities of lights and angles unlike any made by man hung in the air. Twisting and smooth architecture mixed together to form a sprawling metropolis, maze of ziggy ziggurats, crystalline walkways, and amalgamated structures that stretched over the sky and toward the familiar icebergs that I'd seen before. Except that instead of a massive, single, reflective surface now, I saw hundreds of them all floating ominously in the frigid air waiting for us to reveal ourselves. This is not our Earth, Parker realized as we moved to the captain's quarters to see if any of the power would work. Nothing. We're sitting ducks out here, the captain commented. Parker was not so easily discouraged. We have longboats and oars, is that correct? she asked. An hour later, with less than a dozen men in a dinghy, we were rowing toward fate. The water felt thick, as if we were trudging through sand and it was becoming more and more difficult. The darkness below seemed to stretch for eternity in strange, indescribable shapes. Flowed about the waters, reacting to our movements the way predators would if on the hunt. Seneca's speculation of this being a portal was well-founded, it seems. What do you suppose the connection here is? Parker asked as we got close to one of the larger icebergs that touched the water. Portal to an alien world? I'm not sure if even the most intelligent and philosophical minds could conjure up a hypothesis, ma'am. This is beyond my scope. The only thing I truly feel here is unease. We don't belong. There's an invisible force that seems to be growing heavier with each breath we take. You may be right. But it's also enticing. We're likely bait for a power that's beyond the reality we've comprehended our entire evolution. We're reshaping history, so let's not balk now, she decided. The row came to a halt on the western side of the Pillar of Ice, with strange carved stairs revealing themselves to lead to the mirror's edge. Someone's been down this path already. I see footprints, one of the soldiers warned. We kept our wits about us as we went forward. Not even our voices sounded like humans anymore as we reached the mirror itself. I couldn't help but notice that Kant was still in the same place where we had left him, except now he was merged with the woman that we discovered the first time we came to this arctic wasteland. 
Two of them seem to be tearfully begging us not to go further. Beyond the mirror's surface, I saw those same abstract forms wailing. We need to reach the other side. Determine how the portal works, Parker said as she ordered her soldiers to lay down landmines. Without the proper drills, this will be the only way to remove the mirror safely. Make sure they aren't too close to the mirror or could damage the specimen, she added. I peered toward the crystallized and human form of Kant, looking at the woman's face closer. A dark realization dawned on me. We need to leave this place. This isn't a suggestion. This is a prophecy that we're fulfilling. An evil that is being awakened, I told her as I pointed toward the victims of the mirror. The woman wore Parker's face, and here, in this strange history, she had already been fated to be trapped forever. Don't you see that we need to turn back now, I told her. Parker was seemingly unfazed by the revelation. Instead, ordering the others to begin blasting as she sought cover. I was one of the few who remained close to the mirror to observe. One by one, the explosives went off, rocketing across the surface of the ice in the mirror. I didn't know what to expect. The end result was more frightening than I could have ever anticipated. The glass reflections of ourselves shrieked louder than a rumbling quake, and long, dark tendrils of crystal snaked out of the mirror's surface as sharp as glass, ripping through the soldiers as lightning bolts. They were consumed and dragged into the widening maw of the mirror like morsels for a lumbering beast. The mouth of the mirror showed me the familiar platform of the Chernobog outpost, and I shouted for Parker to run toward it. The final blast rocketed me toward the open void, and I felt the shards of the jagged mirror close in on my leg as I fell through. I awoke on a medical ship, time itself slipping away as I faded in and out of recovery, the madness of the mirror echoing in my memories. My researchers were part of the East Euro agencies that had chosen to wait beyond the Arctic Circle, and found me lingering in the water alone, clinging to life. We could not find any of the other vessels or any other survivors. The entire island vanished before our eyes, a flash of light, then it merged into the sea as if watching a massive gateway close, the soldiers told me. Given what I'd seen on the other side, I believed them. I filed a report recommending the entire area remain closed off to all vessels for the foreseeable future, and resigned from my position not long after. The excavation has ended, and the remains of the strange mirror are nowhere to be found by search parties that have been authorized. Of course, I can, but only speculate, as none of them have returned either. The ocean seems to swallow all that enters the zone. And perhaps as gruesome as it may be, it's better that way than finding out what else the mirrors hold for our world. I hope you enjoyed Chernabog Station by Kyle Harrison, as performed by yours truth. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured authors, well, they can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Harrison. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. 
find them just about anywhere, everywhere, but thankfully not all at once. That wouldn't be a pleasant experience for him. But he has plenty of wonderfully creepy tales in anthologies and websites of all sizes for your perusal. Thanks again for your support of this show and tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference, and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click Patrons in the link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Stay tuned as the season is slowly coming to an end. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs>
Subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode, and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>